We back in the lab, we making some noise, so go turn your decibels up. Yeah. Black skin, white coat, oh no, who was nice as us? Made Jimmerson, really told us no limits, so we about to take us up. Went from mixing in the kitchen to the lab, and now, now I can make this up. Be side, be scientist, be side, be scientist. We shining a light on the people of color to show them how fly it is. Be side, be scientist, be side, be scientist. We back in the lab with white coats on our back, trying to show what time it is. Hey. Welcome back to Be Scientist, a podcast by the Black Science Coalition Institute, or BSI. When you hear this noise, that is our in podcast citation, and you can find all of our citations on b-sci.org backslash be scientist, and where you can find all our citations in our citation archives. And my name is Jordan Chapman, and as always, we have chemist Jana Carpenter. And today we have the future Dr. Brianna Sims, who will soon be graduating from the University of Mississippi with a PhD in chemistry. She also started a business called STEM Ed by Bree, which is dedicated to STEM education and aims to bring STEM into every home and show junior scholars that they have the intelligence, talent, and ability to take on STEM. So Brianna, how are you feeling today? Hey y'all, I'm feeling great. Um, it's a beautiful day outside today and I mean, what more could you ask for than some sunshine? (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) Now that you're about to finish this PhD journey, like just give us a few words about how are you feeling about that? I feel a lot of things. I am so excited. I'm so nervous because I've literally, I've spent my whole life in school. Like this is going to be the first time I'm not a student. So this will be really interesting. But I'm also stressed because it's a lot to do on this back end, but I'm really excited overall. Nice. So you said just now that you were have been in school your whole life. Have you always known that you wanted to be a scientist? Um, I think I've always known I've wanted to be a scientist, but I didn't know what type of scientist. Um, like, I remember when I was in like second or third grade, I told my parents, I was like, oh, I want to do archaeology. And we lived in Oklahoma and my dad set me out in the heat. And like had me like chiseling away at like the cement thing. And I was like, no, I don't really want to do outside. And then I love genetics. And so I would study genetics as I grew up. And I was like, this is so cool. And then got to college and was like, wow, chemistry is so fun. And then started doing polymer chemistry. And that's where I've kind of ended up. So I've always been interested in science, but the type of science has changed over the years. Well, I'm biased because obviously I'm a geologist and archaeologist. So that's good <laughs> that you wanted to be an archaeologist when you were a kid. <laughs> that's what I thought. But outside is too hot, especially that Oklahoma heat can do it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. No, it's it's wow. I've done archaeology in Israel and in Georgia, and it's always hot. I've never done it in a place that's not hot. <laughs> it is a lot. <laughs> oh, my goodness. See, if there was like cooler temperatures, then I could maybe do it. right yeah exactly like there's i don't know if there's a good balance i'm trying to think of a place where it'd be okay to dig and not have either it'd be too hot or cold because then i'm like if it's too cold then i'm going to be miserable because then it's like one of the worst things and i have done this it's like digging in like the cold rain it's just not good it's so bad yeah that doesn't sound fun so i'll I'll stick to the Mm. wet lab for now Yeah, speaking of, I mean, I'm obviously biased and also love chemistry um, and kind mm-hmm. of stumbled, not not perfectly into chemistry, but 
you know, I'm here nonetheless. So as a fellow chemist, I would love to hear about your research. Yeah, absolutely. So I um, am a polymer chemist and the area that we kind of focus on is biomaterials. And so I make amphiphilic block copolymers that can self-assemble into these really cool nano carriers that we use for drug delivery. And so my specific goal, um, because my background is in biochemistry actually. So my goal is to actually make these nano carriers more biocompatible for our body, more safe for our body and modify them so that we can get them targeted to a specific area of the body. Um, and so it's been a lot of fun. I get to do some cool microscopy. I get to do some really cool spectroscopy techniques and also do some really cool like cell studies and things like that. So, um, and plus polymer chemistry, of course. So I get a, a good mix of a lot of different areas of science. So I love it. Yeah, I think it makes for a really competitive candidate in this job market, especially with like such advancements with, you know, pharmaceuticals coming out you know, especially with the new COVID vaccine, I think hearing your perspective on how we kind of are able to advance uh, medicine so rapidly would be kind of cool. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. So I am a big like proponent for like the really awesome science that we're doing in order to kind of push this, these vaccines out. And I, I just think that one of the coolest things about it is that we've taken techniques that aren't necessarily new, but we're using them in a new way. And so I think that the way that these vaccines have been kind of produced and developed over time, I think kind of gives our new scientists a way to look at some of the older techniques that we've used in the past and figure out like new and novel ways to apply them. And so I'm really excited to see where medicine actually goes after all of this. I mean, I hate that a pandemic kind of brought us to this point, but the fact that like the vaccine was able to be developed and produced as quickly as it was, I think it's just really fantastic. I think it's really cool. So that's really exciting for sure. And you said you got into chemistry, was it in high school or college? Yeah, so I actually in high school, I had a really awesome um, chemistry teacher in high school, and she really pushed me and motivated me. And then I took AP chemistry and then decided to just go on into that in college nice I think I saw on your website that you went to Xavier um how was that yeah I went to Xavier University of Louisiana and it was the most exciting experience I could have ever had um I mean if it's in New Orleans Louisiana so what's better than that but also um <laughs> nice. you know going to an HBCU from I went to high school in Nashville Tennessee mm-hmm. so I'm I moved around a lot as a kid but um, to kind of go from the Nashville environment and then go to an HBCU was such an eye-opening experience to see other really awesome, like, Black people doing really awesome things. Like, it just, it really inspired me and pushed me to want to do more. So I absolutely love that experience. Nice. Um, that's dope. I've I've heard of, I went to um, Penn State, so I always would imagine, like, what it would have been like to go to an HBCU instead of a PWI or predominantly white institute. So to hear, you know, black people talking about going to HBCUs and talk about how awesome the experience was, is always nice to hear. Yeah. But that's absolutely. a little different though from um University of Mississippi, right? So that's that's gotta be a, a kind of a change. Oh yeah. When I first got here, I'll admit I felt like a major culture shock. It was very different for me. Um 
to the point where like even my first semester I was like oh man I don't think I can do it I don't think I can stay here but <laughs> you know at the end of my first semester I met some really awesome students um, because I was teaching and so I met some awesome students who then started to introduce me to what I consider my my community my village here now and and they really have kept me here so whether it was like other students or faculty and staff at the University of Mississippi or just like community members in our Oxford community, like they have really truly kept me here in this in this area. So I'm very grateful for them. So at what point, because again, you are an amazing scientist and then not only are you getting a PhD, you also started your own business while you were going through a PhD program. And I think me and Jenna can relate. So let's talk about how you started STEM at Bybree. First of all, how how did you kind of start putting that together in your head? It's like, I, I want to start a business. What led to those decisions? Yeah, so it actually has been like kind of several different events that seem to be isolated that I think really are more connected than I initially thought. So when I was in high school, I did some STEM outreach um, with Vanderbilt University, and it was so much fun. Um, and in my high school, we also got to partner with the elementary school that was nearby and do some STEM outreach with those kids. But then when I went to college, um, I worked under Dr. Calvin Mackey and well, both Dr. Cal Dr. Mackey's, um, both him, Dr. Calvin Mackey and his wife, they have a, a company called STEM NOLA, um, which is dedicated to bringing STEM to the New Orleans, Louisiana community. And so we did STEM Saturdays and I would go and volunteer with Dr. Mackey, the lady, and we would work with some of the younger kids and it was so much fun. And so from there, I moved to um, Mississippi and noticed that there's not really a lot of STEM outreach that is done here. And so I started volunteering at the Oxford Learning Center, which is actually the alternative school in our community but the principal of the alternative school has a master's in chemistry. So me and her kind of got really close and she would let me come over there and do experiments and stuff like that with the kids. And from there, um, so I'm a member of Sigma Gamma Rho Sorority Incorporated, and we actually have a partnership with the National Science Foundation, um, as well as the Girl Scouts of America, where we work to get the Girl Scouts their STEM badges. And so for the state of Mississippi, for a little while, I had been helping the Girl Scouts to get their STEM badges by developing different activities that would help them check off their boxes and all of the tasks that they needed to accomplish in order to get that badge. And so in that, one of my sorority sisters had actually mentioned like, oh, you seem like you really enjoy this. You should do this. So then I started doing um, activity kits as soon as the pandemic started, just to kind of get kids more involved and more engaged with science and technology and all of that just because I mean at the time kids were just sitting at home and were bored and probably driving their parents crazy and so I just kind of wanted to come up with something that would engage them academically and so from there STEM to Margie was born and I mean my aunt helped me come up with the name and it's the rest has been history it's been a lot of fun. No I've seen some of the stuff you guys have done you interview actually you helped me learn about another geoarchaeologist which like i i know some here at, the, at uga but you had i think her name is leslie like a couple of weeks ago and i was like oh dope like there's a and then she's also i think she's at what kentucky and i was like oh that's dope like i didn't know there were other geoarchaeologists in um, yeah. the southeast basically 
So uh, Layla Joyce Seal, she is phenomenal. Like I just kind of actually shout out to Twitter, honestly, <laughs> because Twitter has like allowed me to connect with so many people and so many different like scientists from all over because I quite literally just said, hey, um, does anyone know any black people of color or any indigenous uh, geoarchaeologists? And your name came up, Layla, uh, Layla's name came up and I just was like, this is awesome. Like I met so many amazing people. And so I'm glad that I was able to do that. So just from one simple tweet, I think it got like a hundred something hits. <laughs> nice. Like it was ridiculous. Yeah, that's good stuff. You definitely helped me out. I was like, Oh, what? There's more. <laughs> <laughs> There's a whole lot more, <laughs> a whole lot. <laughs> yeah. I think that kind of ties into the fact that like, it's so important to feel represented in your discipline and to see that representation. And I know you do a lot of activism and, you know, just highlighting those underrepresented communities um, and just kind of bringing about this sense of community with your business, which I think is amazing. Did you want to talk more about your viewpoint on that? And Yeah, representation is, is so, so critical. Um, it's kind of crazy to me when I, when I think about my own experiences, the first Black teacher, uh, my first Black woman teacher that I ever had um, was in kindergarten, surprisingly. I, was, I actually lived in Alaska oh, um, and cool. she loved my family and was like, okay, I'm going to start teaching first grade so that Brie can come to my first grade class too. But then I never had another Black woman professor, teacher, anything until now. I'm in grad school. I work under Dr. Davida Watkins. And she's absolutely incredible. But for there to have been that big of a gap in the representation that I saw of people that looked like me was crazy and I went to an HBCU not to say that I wasn't you know taught by black faculty but and I mean and I did see women chemists but never you know that intersectionality that you know we all kind of live at and so in that I realized how important representation really is because I, I never saw myself as going to grad school I never really saw myself as being a chemist for real until I, I got here and I saw other people that looked like me. And so that's one of the goals of my business is to introduce these junior scholars to people that look like them in the fields that they are interested in, or maybe even in fields that they had never even heard of just because you know maybe they didn't have access to that information. And so the scholar spotlights to have different people from different backgrounds interviewed and like come to the actual live virtual event and speak to these junior scholars is, is so empowering for them and the responses and the feedback that I get from the parents it just it really reminds me of how important representation is now that's amazing so this is obviously a question you I'm sure you're getting a lot right now since you're almost done but once you are done when you're Dr. Sims what is Dr. Sims going to be doing yeah so I'm so blessed and thankful that I was able to actually secure a postdoc um, back in August. So y'all are about to get the inside scoop because I haven't really announced it really. Um, but <laughs> nice. I have a postdoc at, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I actually got a postdoc at Duke University. Um, so I'll be working under Dr. Tatiana Segura in the Department of Biomedical Engineering. And so the research there kind of focuses on I don't want to like butcher this, but basically I'll be moving more into neuroscience. So I'll be developing polymers to help heal the brain after stroke. Um, and so that's actually a really cool area of science. And it 
directly kind of goes more into what I want to do like for my career. So I'm really excited about that and excited to learn some new techniques. So. No, that's amazing. Um, Duke's a great school. <laughs> that's part of what the uh, North Carolina's research triangle. So making moves. Nice. <laughs> I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to be great like everybody else. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's amazing. Um, and then, so what are, do you plan on expanding Stand by Bree into other like ventures after um, grad school? Cause I went, cause you know, grad school is very time intensive and Mm-hmm. I imagine that you will have more time. I mean, I'm sure you're going to be working at that um, at Duke, but I'm sure you'll have a little bit more time to like dedicate to the, some of the other things you care about. And I'm sure you want to keep this going. So what are some of your future plans that you might yeah. even just be thinking about with that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the name also kind of is a very broad and general name, just focusing on like STEM education, mm-hmm. um, because I, I do hope to expand this um, a lot more. So Throughout grad school, I've, I've always tutored. Um, I tutored general chemistry and more specifically organic chemistry. And I absolutely love being able to do that. And so in you know the like brightest of futures, um, I'll be able to do some sort of like tutoring or have people that can tutor other students in different STEM areas. But I really am interested in working on like K through 12 outreach for like larger companies or organizations. I'm not gonna say like who I've got some things. I've got some things in the works. I'm not gonna say who yet. Nice, nice. Um, But hopefully some of those like things will come to fruition um, and y'all will see see the company name a little bit more often. Um, But I'm working on some partnerships with different universities and things like that as well to help them improve their STEM outreach and their diversity components as well. So those are kind of some of the things that I'm, I'm hoping to be able to do. Um, and I mean, I would like to be able to kind of move a little bit away from the very, I guess, direct, like me having to like sit there and put together every individual kit and like having to like, you know, call every single student and just be like, Hey, don't forget, like we've got this live virtual event. Um, I'm hoping to be able to expand and hire on some, some other people to help. Um, but you know, that's going to take some time. (laughs) Understandable for sure. Yeah. And you know, you've kind of moved around a lot too. Is that something that you kind of chose, you know, you mentioned Alaska earlier, you know, Oklahoma, now you're in Mississippi and you're headed to North Carolina, you know, is there like a, a general, um, place that you want to settle to in the future? Or do you prefer like finding these hubs of research and, opportunities um, in the future so I have no idea you're actually like the second person to ask me that more recently um so moving around as a kid um I didn't really have much of a choice my dad was in the army and so um he I mean we just I moved with with my family and so college was like the first time I ever lived in a place for like longer than like two or three years. Um, and so I lived in New Orleans for five years and now Oxford, Mississippi is about to be the longest place I've ever lived, um, which is really wild to me. Um, so there's not really, I guess it's a good thing because I don't feel like tied to one specific place and feel like I have to go back to a specific location, but um, I'm also very open to living in a lot of different areas. So I'm interested in moving to where there's a need, 
um, because the research is, is going to come. Like you can do research kind of anywhere, but I really want to make sure that I'm serving like communities that, that need it a lot. And so being in Mississippi, I think is a great place for that. Um, but I don't know that I would necessarily settle here. New Orleans is another great place that really needs some extra support in the education system. But I know that there's a lot of other communities, primarily inner city communities usually um, as well. So I'm kind of open to where I want to move. I have no idea where I want to go. <laughs> yeah, also um, you just talked about needs um, and where there's a need there's usually because there's some type of obstacle. And I'm wondering what were some of the mm -hmm. obstacles that you might've gone through um, and you know, knowing that those inner city kids and inner city communities have those needs because of those obstacles. What are some of the things you hope to focus on? Yeah, so, I mean, some of my own personal obstacles was my parents didn't go to college. My mom had me very young. Um, and then my dad joined the army to be able to support the family. And so I, I didn't know how to apply to college. <laughs> I actually, I was an athlete, um, a two-sport athlete in high school. And then someone actually told my parents, like, did you know that she can get a scholarship to run? And um, my parents were like, oh, that's so cool. So that's what I ended up doing was I actually um, ran track and cross country in, in college. Um, but I, I didn't know that that was an option. I didn't know that research was something that you could do in college. And so I came into Xavier um, as a PREM scholar, which is the Partnership for Research and Education and Material Science, which is a mouthful, I know. But they really focused on getting you experience in research. And then they were like, oh, well, you're supposed to go to grad school. And I was like, okay, well, what is that? Like, what, what do I need to do? And so I think for me, the biggest thing is, I think the information needs to be accessible to people. So I work with junior scholars that are ages five and up. So just exposing them to people that are in these programs or exposing them to people that are in these fields of study. But not only that, um, when I'm talking to these junior scholars, I make sure that I tell them about my journey, how I got here, because I think that there's a lot of pieces that can be missing. If you don't know like what steps to take or where to go, then how can you be expected to get there? And so I guess kind of going back to your last question, one of the things I really hope to be able to do is offer a couple of scholarships to some students so that they can like, I guess, have a better chance of, of thriving in these fields and thriving in college because I just, I didn't know, I didn't have the resources. And so that I want to be a resource to these students as well. That's pretty amazing. And I, I agree. I also had a really hard time like trying to understand, oh, how do you go to grad school? You know, like what credentials are actually needed to like get there. And then once you're there, like, how do you stay on top of your game? Um, I think these are all things that like a lot of underrepresented communities just like don't have access to. So I think that's really commendable. Yeah, it's like a hidden curriculum. Like I, I had heard that phrase um, at a seminar once. Someone kind of talked about the disadvantages and the disparities that like specifically like underrepresented groups in in all these different areas kind of face. It's like it's a hidden curriculum of things that we should know that, you know, our counterparts are privy to and they understand that, you know, oh, I should go talk to my professor. I should be involved in research. I should be shadowing. But underrepresented groups, especially Black students in STEM, like we just, sometimes we just don't know. And so it's 
kind of make that hidden curriculum a lot less hidden. I've tried to be very transparent about my experiences, what students should do, things that helped me, things that didn't help me. I will talk all day about the things that didn't work for me so that people don't make the same mistakes. Nice. Because, I mean, there's just so much in this, in this area that you just, you can't know unless you're in it. So, yeah. Yeah, that's a great phrase, a hidden curriculum. And I think it's very accurate because even um, in high school, like I had no idea what science could do and honestly even throughout like my wandering first two years of like community college where I just did not know what I wanted to do like no one was like well you know you could do this this and that and it was like I didn't know those options existed Um, and then even as I started to finish college it was like what happens in grad school is like people were, and I was a McNair scholar and people were trying to tell me, but I don't think I fully realized it. And it was hard to conceptualize. So, and I, so I agree. That's a great phrase. I had in curriculum. Even knowing about the different opportunities that like community colleges can offer. Like I tell students all the time, like go to your local community college, take all these classes, learn about what you want to learn about it. For one, it's significantly cheaper than going across the country to a school Mm -hmm. that a school and you don't know what you want to do but it allows you to really get your feet and also have a little bit more support as well and so it's like things like that I wish I had I had known like I didn't know that I could have gone to like my in-state community college and and really thrive there and not that I didn't thrive at Xavier but to just think about like the opportunities I could have had if I had known and I actually I was short I think I didn't take computer like typing or something. So I actually, I wouldn't have been able to go, (laughs) but if I had known, I could have just taken the one typing class and had a full scholarship to, to our community college. And and that would have been so helpful. Right. Yeah, actually. So when I was done Penn state, I didn't have calculus or physics and I took that at community college and it's the same class. And I think just that knowledge that like, you know, like for me to go to a community college at Philadelphia was a subway ride. And I don't think people realize that sometimes it's just a subway ride away, away to get into these fields. And to like, I think elevate your life, you know, I like physics a lot. And, you know, calculus is fine. But if someone would have been like, you can just catch a bus or something to go to the community college, and you can learn all these new things. I think a lot of people would take that opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's a great opportunity. But again, that kind of goes into the whole accessibility thing and that hidden curriculum. If you just don't know, then, I mean, you can't be expected to do those things, so. Right, yeah, we definitely, I think all of science needs to do a better job of communicating that those opportunities exist, especially to those underrepresented communities, because we we take a lot of labor from those communities. The custodial workers are always in like these big universities, like predominantly black populations. And I know that's a big conversation even here at UGA about like helping those families get their kids into college and stuff like that. But like, we just need to make it way more accessible for just people to just be able to just enter into these, these colleges and higher education establishments, because if not, then like you said, no one will know. Yeah, I think to your point, there's also, you know, the unspoken thing that no one ever likes to talk about, but it's like the wage disparity with grad students is also really kind of troubling. If you're an international student, even there are several obstacles you have to jump through as an international student. And to put wage on top of that, I think just makes things even 
even more rough and can burn you out just as quick. Yeah, I think, yeah. So I, I spend so much time advocating for graduate and professional students at my university um, at this point in my life. And, and I think this has kind of triggered my interest in like policy and like STEM policy, science policy, educational policy and things like that. But I know one of the things that specific to the University of Mississippi and I'm sure other universities as well is, you know, our work-life balance as graduate students is for lack of better words, kind of trash. Um, we're not paid enough, we're overworked often. And it's a great way to describe. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, for some reason, there's like this disconnect between the faculty members that we work under and like us. It's like the faculty just kind of one of, I guess a couple things, either one, they don't remember what it was like when they were a grad student, when they were overworked and underpaid and all of that, or two, they just maybe believe that it's like a rite of passage. Like, this is just how it is. Like I went through it, so you should have to go through it. Or three, this is just how grad school is. Grad school just kind of sucks. And it, and it doesn't have to, right? Oh, this lady's spitting right now. Everybody <laughs> needs to listen to her. <laughs> I mean, I just, I think that that's like one of the biggest things is that like, and I, I try to show this as best as I can is that like, we are whole people. Like we're not just scientists like all when I go to work I go to work when I come home I do other things I do a lot of other things besides just thinking about science and you know I think that sometimes there's like a disconnect between the faculty and staff that we work under where it's like all we should be doing is like working all we should be doing is if we're not at the lab or your version of the lab or field or what have you if you're not there then you should be writing if you're not writing you should be reading if you're not reading then like you should be at the lab <laughs> you know it and it's it's weird. Um, and I think that that's kind of an obstacle that I, I hope that this next generation of like STEM scholars can really get rid of like this, this hustle culture, but in academia, it's, it's really dangerous. Um, especially like when I think about now, like in the pandemic, um, I was talking to a couple of people yesterday about how I feel like, I mean, we're, we've been in this pandemic, what, a year come this Friday. And um, I'm like, wow, I think I'm finally burnt out like I'm more burnt out than I was at the start of this and it's like all I've been doing is like going and going and going and that's and it's a part of the toxicity of academia but it's just even worse because of the pandemic too so I, I hope that that's something that we can change in the, in the very near future because I, I think that the mind like the minds of our our next generation of scholars is going to depend on that change for sure and this is just as an aside and as a joke, but it did kind of hurt my feelings a little when I heard another um, academic say, oh, grad students are considered essential. Why? <laughs> and then kind of laughed it off. And I was just like, you know, we really put in so much work when we're in lab and we're doing all these things and, and helping to progress grants and things like that. And so it's just like, I don't know. I, it, again, it kind of goes back to maybe that age gap with different generations of academics not being able to reflect on their words and, and you know, lived experiences, especially if they don't come from a community that looks like yours. And so it's just kind of this weird thing where it's like, okay, now I have to fight that too. Like, no, I am essential. I am, I am needed here don't let this one comment ruin your entire day. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, I also think about like the fact that I'm at the University of Mississippi, I'm in the highest paid department and I don't make anything. So <laughs> that's really sad. But to think about like, for example, in the English department or in history, you know, they're making like $8,000, $9,000, $10,000 a year. But the cost of living in Mississippi is really low. I mean, we're, like in Mississippi, just as a whole, we our cost of living is already below the poverty level. But Oxford, Mississippi is well above it. And Oxford, Mississippi is one of the most expensive places to live. And the cost of living is just continuously rising. And so, you know, if we're thinking about how overworked and underpaid we are, and we also like correlate that to our academic success, if I have to go home every day and worry about where my next meal is coming from, or worry about if I'm going to be able to pay my rent, or, you know, if I have a family, feed my family, things of that nature, then those are just added barriers to your success academically. And it's, it's just, it's really sad. And so, I mean, I know that minimum wage, like increasing the minimum wage is like a big conversation right now, but I also think that as academics, we should really look at like these disparities in pay as well for just all grad students, not just STEM grad students, but for all graduate and professional students. And maybe if we can stop looking at graduate students as like cheap labor, then, you know, maybe things would be a little bit better overall and I mean and I think that that also goes into like some of the barriers that you know we as, as black people just have to face all the time right so a comment just as, as small I'm gonna say small in quotes as that you know the person that said it probably said it and never thought about it again but that it sat with you like for all this time and it's like something to constantly think about and it's and it stays with you and you do things to, you know, ensure that you are essential and like make sure that, you know, the work that you're doing does come off as essential and things like that. And it's like, but that's just a whole another set of barriers that we have to face of like living with these comments and living with the things that other people say. And I could go on and on and on about it. <laughs> no, fair. Because like when you think about, say, like you and Jenna just kind of mentioned this like when you think about like who comes in to do certain tasks at the university in the university um like especially R1 and research universities like UGA and I'm um, in University of Mississippi it's like one if you need to go out and do like field work and say archaeology for example usually you go and you say oh I'm going to start a field school and you get undergrads to come out and to you quote unquote teach them and you are teaching them but it's like teaching them with a purpose of you have to pay to come out to this field school but I'm going to benefit from whatever you get out of the ground and I'm not paying you for that you paid me to come here like field schools can be like a thousand plus dollars and for like someone like me an undergrad um, I had to pay a good amount of money and to be fair I did choose to go for my undergrad like field school to Israel but even if it wasn't Israel I would have paid like a thousand dollars just to get out there and then even as a TA um, here at UGA for a field school I realized that too like yeah like I'm not really doing that much today out here the undergrads are but they all pay to be here and I'm getting paid to like supervise them, but I'm not getting paid as nearly as much as like the person running the field school. And I'm going to go home and like, oh, I'm still poor. And they're going to go home and like, yeah, some of them like had money, but I'm sure a lot of them were like, I'm still poor today. And I had to pay money just to be here to learn. And it's like, 
none of us are benefiting from this as much as the university is. And it's like, I don't think you guys are doing this right. It's just that simple. Yeah. That's and that's I mean, bullshit. Even, and I agree. So I think there's a lot of like perspectives that you can look at it from as well. It's like, okay, no, like you're not being paid as much. And also I think I try to think about like the experience and the, like whether it's like you're learning something new or also giving knowledge to um, for example, the undergraduate students, because I mean, if they're there, they're likely helping you with the research as well. So it's like, you know, instead of you having to do all of that data collection um, or sample collection and things like that, you know, you have you have some extra hands and you're not having to be out there for, for nearly as long. But I just, I don't know. I, I just think that universities should really value graduate students a lot more than they, than they do. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, it's just... It's, it's a lot of things that need to change. And unfortunately, a lot of them won't change overnight. And I, I, and I, one question I want to ask you um, is, as you start to advance in your career, you will be asked to address some of these things and like the teaching philosophy. So is there like some, like a specific phrase that you would think about using as like your teaching philosophy? Yeah, so I'm, I'm glad you asked that because I've thought a little bit about it. So my specific teaching philosophy is to ensure that STEM is accessible to all that want to learn it. So whether it's accessible in terms of like, maybe someone is in a different socioeconomic status than I am, you know, if they want to learn, making sure that they have access to the tools and the resources that they need. Maybe they come from a different background. Maybe they come from a gender that's underrepresented or maybe they're a part of a different community that's, that's been underserved or if they have disabilities, you know, making sure that things are accessible, whatever that looks like for that specific person. So that's kind of my, my biggest teaching philosophy, just providing people with the tools and the resources they need to be successful in this area of study. And that looks different for every person. Yeah, I guess um, I also had one other question for you, which is, what are your non-STEM hobbies? There we go. That's the word. Yeah, so I love music. Um, Absolutely love music. So I play several instruments. Um, I'm actually learning, you can probably see my guitar back here. I see the guitar, yeah. About to ask about it. Um, I draw, I write, I paint, <laughs> um, but I also have a dog. We like to go outside, like walk and run. But I also love like the gym and things like that. I'm an athlete, so I just, I don't know. I, I do a lot of things outside of just school. So anything that can get my body moving or if I'm listening to music or something, I definitely enjoy all of those things. Yeah, it sounds like a lot to pack into one day. I'm imagining your days probably start at like five in the morning or something crazy like that. <laughs> <laughs> not since the pandemic started absolutely not but yeah, before no. but before pre-pandemic yeah I was getting up pretty early going to the gym um just because I mean your days don't seem long when they're packed full of things that you enjoy right and so I would go to campus and I used to be able to see like all of my students all of my mentees and things like that from like all throughout the day from day to day and that would really keep me going. I'd be like, okay, I've got a couple hours here. I can go to the lab, but then I'll see my students after. And that's always like one of the brightest parts of my day. So, I mean, my days were a lot longer, I think pre-pandemic, but 
I mean, I really enjoyed it. It's a little sad not being able to see so many people, so many of my mentees and my friends and things like that. But got to do what no, we got to do. <laughs> I think that's fair. I think also you said earlier you were a, a two sport athlete. I'm wondering what the second sport was. You said you did cross country running. Yeah, I did cross country um, and I also ran track. So I ran the 800 meter, um, the 800 and up. So I've in track, I did like the 800, the 1500, the 1500 meter steeple chase and the 3200 and the 3000. So yeah, it, I'm just a distance runner. I can run, run for a long time. So. <laughs> <laughs> <Nice. laughs> As we start to wind down the podcast, this is be sciences. And you've definitely been talking a lot about how you do science and your business, um, stemmed by Brie, is definitely along that lines. But I just want to hear from you, like, how do you try to encourage people to be scientists? Yeah, I mean, I think it's important to recognize that anybody can be a scientist for one. Um, and a scientist looks very different from person to person. So um, I think that we kind of, we as in scientists get like this bad rap, you know, we work in like basements and, you know, our hair is like crazy and we wear like really thick glasses and you know, I wear glasses and that's fine. But yeah, I'm like, I kind of check out for all of those, but it's fine. <laughs> my hair is always crazy and I'm supposed to wear glasses. <laughs> I mean, and it's like, we can do all those things, right? But I mean, then I, I try to encourage people to recognize that we're, we're whole people. So, I mean, I love Cardi B. That's my girl. Like if I could ever meet Cardi B or Megan Thee <laughs> Stallion, nice. like I would literally die. Okay. That like, I would lose it. But I also love like makeup. I love being outside. I love like spending time with my friends and family. Like I like, so there's so many different like aspects to me. So like, yes, I do wear my, my white coat. I wear my glasses. Um, but I always tell people I'm like probably the girliest chemist I'll ever meet. I'll typically have my, my hair is done, makeup's on, even in the lab. So, I mean, a scientist can be anyone. So don't, you know, you can't, you can't look at someone and decide if they're a scientist or not. Like we come in all different shapes, sizes, colors. Like we, we look how we look. So. <laughs> now that's fair. You just said I had a comment about being the girliest chemist and it's like, this is also International Women's Month in March. So can you um, have a few words about that too? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So Women's History Month is like a really awesome time. I just try to take some time to like reflect on um, some of the, the people that have come before us and actually um, Chemistry and Engineering Magazine or C and N. I know it sounds like CNN, but C and N Magazine actually just released um, something for Black History Month um, at the very tail end. The Trailblazers talking about like the people that are here now and like some of the past scientists. Um, but also if you like go through that article, there's some really like dope women scientists that are in there and highlighted shout out to my boss who's in there as well um and so I just encourage everyone to you know get to know some scientists that are around them get to know you know different just different people just ask people about their story ask there's history all around us you would be surprised like even just ask your family members about some of the the history within your family and you'd be surprised at what you can learn so just take some, I guess I want to encourage everyone to just take some time out to get to know someone else um, and learn their story. Dope, dope. Jenna, do you have any final comments? I do not. I guess just to, if you want to go ahead and plug um, where everyone can find you and uh, learn more about STEM Ed by Brie, 
That would be awesome. Yeah. So my personal social media is at the numbers one, two, and then Brie, B-R-I, four, five. So it's one, two, three, four, five on both Instagram and Twitter. I know it's very catchy. Amazing. That is a great, um, that's a good one. <laughs> and, then, and then my business uh, social media is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at S-T-E-M-E-D. B-Y-B-R-I, so stemmed by Brie, um, on all the social media platforms. And also be looking out for our YouTube channel that may be coming up very soon over the summer. So I'm really excited about that. Nice. We'll definitely keep a lookout for that. And we got to have you back on the podcast. We, um, I've been seeing some of your stuff. I mean, I was part of your scholar spotlight, so I'm a little biased. But also, um, you know, <laughs> you got a lot of good stuff in your STEM kits. So I am a fan of stemmed by Brie. And I really hope to see your business keep growing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm so, so excited. Um, and thank y'all so much for having me. Um, this was absolutely a pleasure. Honestly, I was like trying not to like fangirl too much because I listen to y'all's podcasts all the time. <laughs> and I was like, wow, I really get to meet y'all. So, <laughs> so thank you so much for having me. It was truly an honor and a pleasure. It was honestly so great to talk to you. Yeah. Like, seriously, we were doing the same <laughs> what you were doing. Mm-hmm. So. Oh my exactly. Yeah. <laughs> same. <laughs> but we're going to get out of here. Um, again, thanks to Brie for being on the podcast today. And as always, you know, we have Jenna. Um, we had two chemists today. Uh, that's amazing. Yay. Um, <laughs> we meet the flora. <laughs> I love the synergy. <laughs> but we're going to get out of here. Um, we'll be back in about two weeks. And don't forget to be scientists. Be Scientists is a podcast by the Black Science Coalition and Institute, or BSI, a 501c3 nonprofit. Be Scientists is hosted by both Jenna Carpenter, chemist, and BSI's research and development officer, and Jordan Chapman, geoarchaeologist, and BSI's president. Music is produced by Della Rallo, and lyrics are by Ed Yana. Special thanks to Michael Mike Castor Marshall and the Plaza Abbey Studios. If you'd like to donate to B-Side, visit our official website, bside.org. That's b-side.org. Your donation supports the B-Scientist and B-Side's other projects. We couldn't do it without you. So please tune in next time and always be scientists.